Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. The Grind. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to your July installment of The Grind. You're with Roddy Reynolds and Alex Osborne. Got a lot to get through today. Chris Eubanks, the feel-good story of Wimbledon. We're going to discuss the ITF returning to Australia. Um, We're going to explore the vexed and tortuous topic of Saudi Arabian investment in tennis. And to end, we have a special guest, Connie Perrin from Switzerland, who uh, was an absolute delight to talk to. Alex, how are you going? Doing well, thanks, Roddy. Happy July. We're halfway through the year. Pretty crazy. Not bad. I'm in Europe still playing tough few weeks result-wise, but just pushing through and, yeah, body's healthy, just just trying to get the mind right and uh, stay positive. That's it. Well, you've obviously had a bit of a, a bit of a rough run with injury and whatnot and some, and some interruptions. So hopefully uh, hopefully this week's the week and I guess that's why they call it the grind. You're in Porto, correct? Playing with another Aussie this week? I am playing with Gabby to Silver Fick this week, which is exciting. It's always nice hearing an Aussie accent on the road and there are a few Aussies here this week, so it'll it'll make it feel more like home and, and create a really nice environment. As we record, we are in the wake of Wimbledon. Uh, I, for one, didn't get much sleep last night and was lackluster around the office today. But the feel-good story that came out of Wimbledon was former Georgia Tech boy, Christopher Eubanks. So for those who hadn't, I guess, encountered Chris Eubanks before, he has a nickname, depending on who you ask, he's either called the toothpick or the giraffe. And he is a gangly operator who sort of fumbles his way around the court, but he had an exceptional run through to the quarterfinals, which came off the back of a win in Majorca. Hell of a story. He now also holds the record for 321 winners, which is the most in championship history, which says a lot when you consider the likes of uh, uh, Federer and uh, obviously Djokovic playing the seven matches as opposed to his five, or even um, John Isner in that uh, three-day match against Nicholas Mahout. What'd you make of that, Ali? That was pretty wicked. Unbelievable. It's so cool. Um, some great stats coming out of, of his run there at, at Wimbledon. And I just love seeing a college player making a run in singles, especially. I mean, you see it a lot in doubles. I think actually the last four winners have been college players. So you see it a lot in doubles where college players are, are making runs deep into these huge tournaments. And and singles, you do see it, but um, just having it get so much airtime, I think, is really great and beneficial for college tennis. 100%. I remember asking Maxine Cressy about this after he came runner-up to Nadal in the one of the lead-up events. He spoke about, the, I guess, the raucous environment that college tennis provides and sort of the sink or swim element to it. And subsequent to that, I asked Rinky Hijikata the same thing as well. And he basically said, college tennis will make or break you. And if you're not game enough, he used different language, but if you're not game enough to hack it, then you won't survive college and you won't survive pro. And so they say it's a real good test, but I'm obviously not capable of speaking to that. So I'll I'll leave that to you, Ali. But if we go back to Eubanks, one thing I loved about his, I guess his story is A, his infectious positivity. So he is probably the first person I've ever heard in press say when they've made a quarterfinal, talk about joining the last eight club. For those 
those that don't know, if you make a quarterfinal at a Grand Slam in any event, you join what's called the Last Eight Club, which gives you certain access privileges to that event. You know, there's like a Last Eight Club dining room below the media center at Melbourne Park. Uh, Wimbledon comes with its own privileges. You can visit. I think you become a member of the All England Club and you can visit on occasion. But he's the only person I've ever known to mention that in their press conference. I thought that was so cool and like really down to earth of what that win means. I guess his mentality of it all, not getting ahead of himself and still being able to like see what a big moment this is. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, he spoke it to life in an interview earlier in the year. I, I listened back to one and he spoke about how that his goal was to make second week of Wimbledon. I think maybe it was even just after Mallorca, he, he said it or something, but I mean, it's unreal. And, and yeah, I mean, everyone has different goals and I mean, making final eight is just a dream. I, I couldn't think of anything better. So it's fun and really awesome that he spoke about it because at the top level, you see a lot of players just talking about winning and winning the, winning the championship rather than just the little milestones in between. So really unique perspective. And yeah, I just love his infectious positivity and outlook is fantastic, refreshing. Absolutely. And he's played seven challenger events this year, which seems remarkable for a guy now ranked 31 in the world. But he arrived in Australia ranked 123rd in the world. And what I remember is each year at the AO, they give a reciprocal wildcard to a, a USTA player, man and woman. That's based off performance in challenger events in the back half in the States. Now, Ben Shelton, Eubanks's good mate, dominated the challenger scene at the back half of last year, despite only going pro, I think in July or August or something. Something. He dominated such that he basically went from like a 600 ranking to inside the top 100 just before arriving in Melbourne. There was this little anecdote going around of Eubanks and Shelton having a message going back and forth about what results they needed the week before cutoff, such that Shelton could make it into direct entry, which would leave Eubanks as the second best performer to get the wild card. And so Shelton was saying on an on-court interview that he was telling Eubanks, we're all good. We're both going to play the Australian Open. This is awesome. And Eubanks is freaking out, being like, no way, uh, you know, what if this player who's ranked 105 has a run, got no points to defend? He he was uh, he was not taking any chances on sort of his due, due diligence. And he was actually a wild card, or he was the wild card for the AO. And then he had a big uh, five-set win, I think, against Sonwoo Kwon in the first round. I thought that was really cool. And it, it probably just goes to show that despite the fact he's having the success, as he did with the last eight club, there's still like that little child inside who's fulfilling his dream and it's it's so good to watch it's fantastic yeah I, I love it I think I love when people are obsessed with those stats as well I can't say I probably should be one of them but I think it's really unique how some players really get to the nitty-gritty of, of those uh, numbers and crunching them so yeah it's pretty cool I know he was doing some analysis work with tennis channel I think that's awesome I think that's uh I'm sure it's helped him a lot with his game and I know another player, Nick Munro, who's now commentating, he's retired and, and commentating for the tennis channel. But I think it goes to show how how important it is. And I re- actually in college was a colour commentator for the Pac-12. And would commentate. Yeah, I know. I would commentate the men and women's matches. It was when I was um, in law school doing my master's program at ASU, kind of emceeing the match days as well as colour commentating. And it was fun. And I actually learned so much while doing that, just about the game, because you can really sit back and, and watch it. And, and while talking about it live, it really brings a different perspective. And I loved it. So I can definitely see how that's helped his game for sure. Yeah, I think it's going to fast become one of the anecdotes in the Chris Eubanks library, which is like, I mean, every time Kim Durrell does well in Australia, they always say, oh, she she worked that summer for Tennis Australia when she was injured. You know, it's always going to be that story that's tied to him now as he's the guy who's the analyst who also happens to be a top 30 player in the world. Fun fact, uh, Alex Vukic has played him four times this year and is three and one up 
So it goes to show these guys that are sitting on the periphery of the top 100 are not that far away from, from cracking through. Turning our attention now to the domestic scene, we now have the ITF tours back in Australia. We've got two 15Ks in sunny Queensland. Now we've got Dan Kelly, Tommy Fancutt and Luke Saville on the entry list for the men. The interesting one there I'm looking forward to seeing is Tom Fancutt because I don't know him super well, but I, I do have something of a, a, a dialogue with Tom. He reached a career high ranking this year and hasn't really been playing that much. I don't know the story, but I do know that he's not playing as much as he'd like to and it's not because of injury. So really interested to see how he goes. It'd be great to see him um, get a win. On the women's side, there's Kayla McPhee um, as the one seed and then there's currently a Turkish representative Melissa Erkan I think who's looking like she'll be the four seed based on entry who's actually in the process of applying for citizenship here in Australia and is a TA athlete nowadays good to see the ITF back on tour We'd like to see more of it, though. Yeah, I mean, you always want, you know, as many tournaments as you can get, right, in your own country. It's it's nice playing at home and and uh, things like that. But, I mean, at this time of the year, it, it is tough. I know we actually had a really awesome meeting with TA at, I think it was Swan Hill earlier this year, just about kind of opening communication channels with TA for players, which was awesome, and and speaking about the calendar and and how players like it. And, and obviously, you know, we, we want as many as we can get, but that's always tricky, especially as a... A grand slam host nation but yeah during the middle of the year it's tough because a lot of the tournaments you know we've been in europe now for a few months and we've got roland garros and grass swing so every everyone's over here every everyone's playing over here and this is where you're going to get better right you're going to see the better players over here and if you want to really forward your career and you need to be playing against the best to to become one of the best and it's tough having australia be so far away from the rest of the world i think being able to have tournaments year round like other countries. But of course, there's room for improvement. I think um, I know we've got a bunch more tournaments coming up in two months time, starting in Perth, then up to Cairns. And I think the men and women are a little split this time around, but another six coming up. So yeah, Australia does it a little bit different where we have the two weeks on on one week off over the course of, of two months. But yeah, looking forward to having those ones in Cloud and back again this summer for I think two weeks of them. So it'll be great. Yeah, you're, you're exactly right. It's not sustainable. It's it's not a model that can, I think, be successful if we were to just say, model our ITF and Challenger Circuit events off what goes on in Italy or France, where first of all, you have two of the four Grand Slams occurring you know, nearby if not in the same country. And then what part of the issue there is you can't have a sustainable tour just with domestic players. So as great as it would be to have ITF and Challenger Tours events in Australia year round, there is a middle ground to hit because no one else is going to want to be here in the middle of in the middle of winter or winter because there are other opportunities elsewhere. And if they, you know, if your ranking does rise up and suddenly there's an opportunity to make qualies at Roland Garros or Wimbledon or something, you don't want to be flying out of Canberra via Melbourne so that you can get there. And there just wouldn't be the talent to fill these events. Now, that's not to say that they couldn't be more of them. Certainly, I think that there is scope for there to be more. I think that clubs like Kuyong, Royal South Yarra, Melbourne Park, um, even Mornington on the Mornington Peninsula, they could definitely host ITF events. Now, obviously, there's probably not an appetite to do it, particularly for the private clubs. I think that if they were to host an event like that, it would have to be massive. Um, otherwise, it kind of wouldn't go with their their brand. But we had Lawrence uh, Robinson speak about this. There is, a, I think, a middle ground to hit. And I know that in the States, there's a different model where the tennis club, like local tennis clubs, take ownership of an event. Yeah, I, I'm not sure what the solution is. Good to hear that TA are sort of all over it. But yeah, I'd, I'd like to... 
I suppose I'd like to see sort of like a five-year plan out of it. I don't know. What do you think? Yeah, I think a a long-term plan would be cool. I'd love just throwing it out there to see grass swing in Australia. We have so many tournaments and I know we had the two in Swan Hill, but those clubs you were talking about in Victoria, um, there are so many of them and a lot in South Australia and WA as well. And I think it's tough because the grass season obviously is in the UK, one in Holland and one in Italy and the Newport in, in America. But I think it would be unique and create something pretty cool out of it. But yeah, again, I think seeing a long-term plan for, for tournaments would be, I think, really beneficial. And especially for players, just seeing the pathway and for the future, not even, you know, for us players right now, but I just think, yeah, for the younger younger players and seeing that pathway and, and what that looks like for them could be really important. I think that one thing that could also be, uh, and this is just from outside looking in, is these events, uh, if you look at the ITF calendar, it's like Caloundra to Perth to Cairns to Darwin. These aren't easy to get to. 15K events aren't exactly filling up your pockets for the year like first round at the Aussie Open does. And so with a larger calendar, you'd be able to create more opportunity to have events close by and more opportunity to limit the amount of travel required. I can't begin to imagine the costs of a hire car where you take it from, say, Cairns to Darwin and, and then drop it back in Cairns the next week. Um, that's got to be anything but fun. Yeah, I suppose I suppose there's still some room to move on that front, but it is great to see the tour come back for the next couple of weeks in Australia. Speaking of what goes on on the tour, this one, Ali, I know you've got some interesting thoughts on, but Saudi investment. For those that are unaware, the Saudi Arabian Public Investment Fund, the PIF, which is essentially the state financial arm over there who have disrupted their way into the professional golfing scene quite successfully, have a desire to come into professional tennis. This comes with a, a plethora of issues and and topical points. What is your first reaction to this, Alex, as a player who plays at the ITF level where funding could be increased? And so you, I guess, in an ideal world would be a direct beneficiary of what the PIF can offer if the WTA and the ATP facilitate, I guess, its investment. And that would then ideally drip down to the ITF itself. How do you feel? Because it's a tough one. It's a really tough one. Yeah, really tough kind of moral, I guess, decision to if this were to unfold and happen, if, you know, you would play in it or or if there's a decision for it to go forward. I think we've seen with the, the golf tour with them saying, nope, we're not doing it. And then now it's, you know, full 180, you know, all in. They've now completely merged with them. And I think... I think it would be silly not to. I think there's a lot of money at stake and I think a lot of players could really, really benefit from financially the PIF and and having a tour kind of sync with them in some way or another. I think there would need to be a lot of kind of communication with players if it were to happen and, and there'd need to be some lots of regulations around, you know, maybe how we can kind of communicate and work with the community over there as well. I think just getting girls and women involved I think would be huge for me if it were to happen to make sure that there's visibility um, of women in sport is and and especially in tennis um, if this were to happen I think you know people would say oh take the money and run you know that's like what a lot of the golfers are saying and I think there's in some way yes but I think you also need to make sure that you're being socially responsible and and that the community over there is getting something out of it too, especially with women and girls in sport. As someone who doesn't have, uh, let's say, a financial stake in this, for me, I actually find myself contradicting myself when I think about this. So I think about this in, I guess, two parts. The first is when it comes to the players. And my natural reaction is everyone deserves in whatever they do to get paid whatever they're worth. 
those outside of the top one to 200 in tennis don't get paid what they're worth uh, in my humble. Therefore, I sort of adopt the go for it, take the money and run mentality. The second part of how I think about this is clouded by that social responsibility piece that you just spoke about and perhaps a preference that if, I suppose you want to hold the organization to a really high standard and the WTA has made a rod for its own back on making a stand on the Peng Shui issue, which it remains unresolved, but then it kind of faltered and said, well, what we're doing here isn't working we're just going to go back to playing tournaments in China. And you can make of that what you will, but they did at least initially have a strong moral objection to what was going on. Now, the Saudi Arabian one is challenging because they have what we would call social issues, but perhaps they're not called social issues over there. But from a Western lens, they certainly appear that way. Um, and we don't need to get into them. But it certainly would seem, or at least from a Western perspective, it certainly is the case that as a society, they lag and there are some uh, moral complexities. That said, we've seen what can happen with golf. And so the issue then becomes, do you tempt or bait the PIF into starting their own thing because you won't collaborate with them? Or do you collaborate with them from the outset such that you can control where the money goes and that sort of thing? I guess it's a damned if you do and damned if you don't situation. But they're not at this point, they're not trying to disrupt or create their whole new tour. They want to invest in it. And so how would you feel if that investment came and what would you want to see the investment in? I think it would be financially really positive. Yeah, I guess there's a lot of things to uncover behind the scenes with the, like you just said about the social responsibility side. But from a tennis perspective, I think that it could really, really help a lot of players. And a lot of players don't even start playing professionally because they just are already down and out financially. And they just, I know so many players after college who, you know, would love to play pro, but they really can't afford it, don't know where to start. And I think there are so many talented players that don't make it because of financial reasons. So I think if this could break down those barriers and bring more people into tennis and and further people's careers, just, you know, a lot of people stop because of financial reasons. And it's a really tough tough thing that a lot of players go through and I think if if this could help alleviate some of those pressures and keep people in the sport then I think it's really positive would you go there maybe yeah like I mean I think for me like finances are a huge issue and is it would be a reason why I would stop playing tennis so if there's a possibility for me to continue playing tennis because I know that I haven't reached my potential and if I would have to stop for a financial reason that would really really hurt me mentally I think because not being able to realize your dream or know that you've reached full potential just because of this one barrier, then I think it would be really tough to retire or finish on that note. So I think if this would enable me and other players to be able to continue playing and know that they've realized their full potential, then yes. I think what we might see, so I think they're going to host, or the reports are they're going to host the ATP next gen, either this year or next, the end of year finals. They may assist some investment in some new technologies and things like that. Now, I don't know what those new technologies are. They might be investment in data so that players and, and viewers can access uh, more insight into the game. It, it might be technological advancements um, in equipment. I've got no idea. I think what we will also see is like a world team tennis type thing. I know that there was the event over Christmas time where Kyrgios went over there with a few others and they had like a um, an exhibition, you know, two teams of, of six or something take each other on. I think we'll see a fair bit of that. I certainly wouldn't begrudge any player going whatsoever. I think that it's sort of a, it's a vexed issue because it's going to come with with just all the criticism in the world, whichever way you do it. But if you are going to do it, they do have to control all governing bodies in tennis have to control the narrative of, of how it's framed because you can't have a PGA Tour style issue where you cast them as pariahs and lepers only to then fall back on that. Yeah, absolutely. The World Team Tennis style is fun. I actually got to play that in Indian Wells a few years back and 
yeah, it'll be interesting to see if, if this does happen, what those tournaments could look like or that, that side of the tour could become and look like. So, yeah, or whether or not they'll just create more ATP and WTA events or if it would be, yeah, a different style of tour. So it'll be fun to watch it unfold and I think watch this space. We'll continue talking about it and it'll be interesting to see what happens. Yeah, absolutely. Like it, it's just going to be a discussion point for so long. Connie Parent, Swiss tennis player. Connie joins us uh, from over in Europe. Uh, Connie's an individual with over 830 wins in her professional career, which includes, if I'm not mistaken, nearly 40 professional titles. Connie, thank you for joining us. How are you going? Hi, guys. Thanks for asking me on the podcast. I'm really happy to be here. Yeah, I'm doing good right now in Romania for 125k. Uh, this week got lucky loser in singles so lucky let's uh take it back a step you've you've been on tour for something like uh 12 or 13 years you must have seen a lot uh, a lot of change and develop over time going back further than that what are your early memories of playing tennis as a young girl i I presume in switzerland yes exactly i mean i've done all the junior uh, pathway in switzerland uh, I had a pretty normal life, to be honest. Uh, I, I did many other sports as a kid, playing football, uh, doing ice skating until I was like 14, 15. Uh, pretty normal life also with school and everything, uh, socializing. So, um, I mean, I chose tennis because it was individual sports and I felt like competing was always something I really loved in tennis. Also being alone. On, on a tennis court and trying to find solution by myself. And I always had so much fun just like playing around with my friends at my hometown club. Yeah, especially I was playing a lot with the guys as a as a young juniors. Um, and I think that's also where I got the, the competitive aspect. Like uh, they were really competitive also with me. So I think that's where I got it from. But yeah, actually until 15 uh, years old, I, I was in my hometown club. I didn't really had that such a professional setup, you know, like, uh, as I said, I was doing so many other things. Uh, but then I was approached by the Federation Swiss Tennis because uh, I was, yeah, I was always like top three or top four in the country in the categories. And so they they were interested. I started going to the Federation for two days a week. The rest I stayed at home doing also with my my first coach. And at some point I decided, okay, I'm, I'm going to go full time in the Federation. So I changed it's not so far from from my hometown. It's like 40 minutes, so it's not like that big of a deal. But uh, it was actually a very tough transition for me at the time as a junior because I went from like really being so passionate about tennis and like mostly loving the game, uh, playing around and uh, like that, to actually in a totally different setup. It was uh, you know when you go into a federation. I was actually starting to practice more. Also fitness-wise, it was totally just more specific, everything. And uh, it felt like everything more important. And for me, mm-hmm. that was something at the time where, uh, yeah, I had a hard time to deal with. I was like 16, 17. Also, at the same time, um, my parents were divorcing. So it was a lot of things at this age that you actually, you need a lot of stability. And it's never easy, obviously, at any age. But yeah, and at the time, as soon as I switched 
to the federation i struggled for the first year getting in the in the rhythm of that also i felt obviously practicing with the best players in switzerland also i had coaches fitness coach everything at the time when i was there they also had a lot of changes with the coaches which also didn't help really. It was more mentally for me uh, the tough part because the first year, for example, I started to like not like tennis as much uh, and I didn't really know how to deal with that, uh, with the amount of the training and all these kind of things. So yeah, it was just an interesting transition for me as a junior, but obviously yeah, the year passed and you kind of have to navigate also. But yeah, I would say I, I stayed three years at the Federation uh, and it was three years of a lot of learning uh, for me uh, as an individual and yeah, also like a mindset and I could take a lot with me when I left the Federation. Awesome. So talking about that, the, I guess that transition, we know how tough that can be. And I guess, have you ever received some cool advice or just had any communication with players like Hingis and Federer and Marinka? Having those players be from your country, have you, through that transition period, been able to communicate with any of those players and receive advice or, or anything from them? I think for me, that's the part where I, I struggled the most at the time. It's because I didn't really have anyone to really talk to. Also like a psychologist or anything, um, it was mostly my family and some friends or my, my first coach who was trying to give me advice. But obviously, I felt sometimes it was not easy to f- for them to always understand what, what you go through. And, and of course, like you said, having someone like to that level who can actually guide you in those moments would have been for sure very helpful. But I met obviously when I left Federation, I, obviously, when you leave a Federation, you have to do everything um, a bit on your own uh, and I was lucky to meet like uh, my f- my fitness coach at the time and he, we are still very good friends like uh, he he helped me through my my whole career obviously to kind of navigate that and how am I gonna get started you know because when you are not in the federation that's where it comes like okay I need I need the finance I need this uh, I need a kind of a team but for me at the time it was also not really possible to to be like, okay, I can have a tennis coach, I can have a fitness coach, I can have this, I can have that, because um, with the finance was not, uh, I, I had a few sponsors, but it was not enough, obviously. But uh, no, from, from my part, I, I could see them play and all this, uh, those top players, but uh, they were all like in pretty like private in how they, they go on with their career. So they were not really always physically at federation so yeah I, I at the time i could not really um have that much contact with them connie you said uh, you left the federation when you were say 17 and uh, as i understand it you've never gone back to the federation so you've been self-funded and self i guess organized your entire career is that is that right and and if so that must have obviously been quite a challenging time for you to to sort of be the you know your own planner your own marketer your own financial guru as time goes on that must help you grow a little bit to have that responsibility and to be in control yeah i mean exactly uh, of course at the time it was not easy when i started i was like well that's gonna be a tough one mm-hmm. but uh, i already went through some challenges as a teenager and of course with the divorce of my parents and all this growth that i could do also at federation and the things i've learned i left the federation with 20 so i went 16 17 until 20 
when you are like 20 years old, I felt a bit like Wonder Woman at the time. <laughs> so I will do this, you know, I will find solution. I have a few people that believe in me. We can try and put a direction and let's just try and go for it. Even if maybe I don't have a tennis coach at the time, I have a hitter, I have my fitness coach. Yeah. And I felt like my kind of tennis is pretty natural in a way that if I'm fit, if I do the hours on the court with uh, my hitter, I try to learn from my own game, like trying to learn what, what's my game, how can I play, like what do I need to focus on, what do I need to improve, which area. For me, looking back, it was such a win because I had to really observe, I mean, myself, but also others, you know, when you're on tournament, like looking at my next opponent, trying to study like what how do I need to play? And I think the very first moment when I started this journey for me was uh, learning for life. That's how I took it. And I was like, okay, I can learn so much from this. And that's my goal. Like, of course, I want to get better as a tennis player, but um, most of all, also as a human. I feel like when you are your own CEO in, in a way, you are truly able to, to own that and to, to do such a growth along the way, you know, and uh, you go through phases, of course, that some are going to be good, some are going to be less good, but it's part of it. And that's where the growth comes. And uh, I, I'm lucky that I, I was able to to see it that way. So you've played a lot of tournaments around the globe, your career. Um, where would you say is your favorite place you've competed in and somewhere that you you maybe like to go back to and compete in? Tell us about that. Obviously, that I was able to manage or already to play one Grand Slam was already for me like, wow. You know, like from where I come from, I was like, if I could sign it, uh, I was like, wow, okay, let's sign it now. But uh, uh, yeah, of course, obviously, all the Grand Slam were for me like a dream come true, you know, especially Roland Garros, which is my favorite one. If I can pick on the ITF tour some other tournaments that you can learn so much uh, uh, on the journey was those tournaments in, uh, in Nigeria, in, in Lagos. It's more, more because of the perspective. Like the first time I ever went, I mean, the love and the joy and the, just the, the, the passion of those people really uh, stayed with me, uh, truly, you know, like uh, I've never seen something like this, uh, to be honest. Like, I mean, when you arrive, coming from Switzerland also, you, you arrive in a complete different, uh, first of all, it's a different continent, but totally different quality of life. And then you have the, those tournaments there where you have people that, of course, they don't have much, but they put their, their whole heart into it in trying to do the tournament. It, it's also such a great event, how they do it. Uh, so many people come to watch. Uh, they are really passionate about it. But also for me, it was, there are so many kids there. Uh, they are ball kids and everything. And uh, from the first day, they, they are so happy with a huge smile on their face, uh, faces, like playing on the wall uh, with broken rackets, you know, and you're like, well, I mean, for me, that was so beautiful, you know, like I was like, that's unbelievable. And literally for two weeks, I felt like 10 again. You know, I was um, instead of warming up for my matches, I was sometime like, I just want to play volleyball with the, one of the the kids there, you know, and, and just uh, yeah, get a little ready, go into my match. Uh, but like, I really like that sharing that with them for two weeks. Uh, also, on top of that, I was doing well in those tournaments, which was a, a, a bonus. But for me, it was just this uh, this experience 
with with all of them there um, that I could really take with me and I will never forget that I could share that. That sounds fantastic. We've seen um we've seen a lot of the footage recently of the ITF expanding into Africa and so you see more of these types of occasions where the community uh, gathers around for these tennis tournaments. And then obviously the big bright smiles is, is beautiful to watch as well. I've heard you speak about that before and I, I wasn't surprised to hear that that's, that's where your answer to Ali's question went. One other thing I wanted to ask you about as well when it comes to, uh, I guess, suppose your memories of playing and whatnot. 2019, I believe you debuted for Switzerland. What was that like for you? I mean, that's obviously a, a culmination of a lot of hard work and lots of years on court and in the gym and blood and sweat and tears. What was that like representing your country after um after toiling on tour when i received a call uh, it was like do you want to be part of the team for the next i was like it's not even a question like uh, of course uh i was super happy and it's like for me especially like with the years that of as you said all those hard work all the when you start you don't really have the fans but then you get into grand slam suddenly you have a bit more finances to to uh, invest in maybe taking someone with you for one or two tournaments because I was obviously traveling by myself most of the time but when I received that call it was really like uh, I got goosebumps you know and I was like that's that was also one of my dream obviously to represent my country and also obviously along all the girls that obviously we know each other and that you're in a team and you you all have the same purpose which makes it even more special so yeah, for me to that I had the opportunity to to play one Fed Cup, yeah, it was it will always stay in my heart. Like uh, it's memories of a lifetime, and and also like I was able to play a, a doubles match with also uh, another player that uh, that was her first time, uh, Elena Inalbon. So and we won that match together, and it was just uh, two rookies together and <laughs> and awesome. uh, winning that. match. That was just uh, awesome memories, but also, yeah, obviously the whole week with the team, so much learning. There uh, there was also like Timea Pashinsky at the time. Uh, she was obviously still playing, but uh, I could take a lot of learning from her as well. Like she's a semi-finalist in slams. Uh, she was top 10. So that was a really nice experience. That's incredible. Unreal stories. I mean, the amount of experience that you have in stories, I feel like you could really share that with the youth. Is, is coaching something you'd maybe get into in the future? I just think that hearing you talk today, oh my goodness, I love you as a coach. I feel like your experience and just your wealth of knowledge on court would be incredible to be able to pass on to the younger generations. Is that yeah, something you're interested in doing pass, uh, after your tennis career? Uh, it's so funny you asking that because I'm actually doing it right now. <laughs> Obviously, as I said, in tennis, we go through phases. As a person as well, we grow and we, we evolve, we go again. And uh, yeah, but... Right now, it's been two months that I actually um, put more, like, let's say more focus on doubles, uh, that I truly uh, want to go that pathway. Um, and of course, my single, I still have a ranking that I can play a few events and I can use it, but it's more like, okay, I, I just want to wanna have a good time and, and see what I still can do in single. Yeah. But uh, yeah, uh, so I've been focusing a lot on doubles and um, focusing on doubles gave me a bit more time also for myself. Two, three months ago, I was like reflecting a lot and I was like, I would be so happy to also start helping the younger ones uh, while I still play. Like I can play doubles, but 
uh, I have also so much time on my hands, like when, when I'm traveling or, you know, and and it's been yeah two months uh, that I have been helping uh, the competition group in my hometown in the academy where I train. So each time I'm there, I can do my own practice, but I'm also helping the comp- competition group and I'm helping a little bit um, some players that uh, are between uh, 400 and 1,000 in the women's. That transition group of people uh, that I think it's very important, especially to have someone that can maybe guide them in, in, in a way with things and add some inputs. So yeah, and I, I, I've been helping like two, three players in that range of, of ranking uh, since two months and I'm doing it yet. Yeah, it's so interesting. I just love to to give back, you know, uh, everything I learned, help them with any inputs for their game, like finding maybe a certain direction, uh, because that's exactly the ranking where those things are very important. And uh, if you have someone that can actually give you some knowledge in this area, yeah, it can just be a bonus for them as well. And and I know how hard it is to actually claim the ranking in this uh, moment. I had a funny story about the coaching. Yes, um, please share. Uh, so yesterday, for example, um, the the person I'm, I'm helping a little bit uh, with another coach, um, she was in the final of a 25. And uh, I mean, she had a huge battle, a 7-6 in the third, uh, three, set, three, three sets, three tie breaks, um, but anyways, so I had to play also my match here, but I was literally like, uh, it was live stream so I could see her match and I'm going in, in the court, like it's, uh, she's set down five all in the second set and I have to go to play my match. So I was like, I have to warm up. <laughs> so I have to go and I literally was playing my match. I was just like. I hope she, I hope she won. Like uh, you know, like <laughs> I was just like um, yeah. Of course, I had to play, but uh, I was thinking a lot about uh, what happened. Like it's third set or not third set, you know. And and so yeah, I mean, it's it's very interesting. So it's like I have to shift the focus, you know, very quick. Because uh, also, obviously, if I want to help someone, I also want to be uh, engaged and. Uh, I want to help as best as I can, but uh, yeah, it's been a, it was a a funny day yesterday because I had to really do a, a fast transition into like, okay, her, and then have to go play my match. So yeah, but it's going to happen and, and it's, yeah, it's, it's fine. It's, it's nice. Dedication from coach. We like that. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Having someone like you is um, in such a transformative period of their life is, is key and unreal that they get to get that experience from you. One last question. So you're also on the ITF players panel like me. How are you liking it? Where do you see it going? What's your goal for it as well? Yeah, I mean, I think first of all, uh, the last three years, I think it's evolving in a good direction. I mean, so much work has been done. I think People don't always always see it because it's behind doors. But I mean, we are always involved. We always trying to find new ideas, new solutions, things that obviously can always get better. But uh, I think also it cannot come overnight, uh, which I think sometimes for people to understand is not always easy. I think 
uh, we, we've done such a good job. We are lucky to have so many people as well that are very passionate about also helping the tour and trying to give their time because it's, it's, it's work. Personally, I love that. And when I remember how I started, uh, it was 10,000 before. Now it's 15K. But when I really started, it was 10K and, and the tour was totally, it was different. The way it already evolved is, is huge from the time I started. I feel like it keeps evolving. Like for example, like now we, we have like a bit more hospitalities also for the women uh, on, on lower tournaments, which is a huge help because I think personally, obviously if you don't have all the sponsors, I think the accommodation is, is a big part of the, um, the budget uh, along with obviously travel. But if you already have the accommodation that is taken care of, it's a, a bit of a weight that comes out of the shoulder. And um, yeah, a little improvement like this, I think, uh, it's been happening lately. And also the new category of tournament 40K on a lower level, level I think that's, that was a good good call as well. And we just keep trying to, to find new new ideas. We have meetings coming up and, and uh, yeah, uh, but I found it very interesting and most importantly also to share with, with others and from other tours as well, because obviously there is ITF, WTA is not the same. I think people don't always know that. Fans that watch tennis, that it's uh, two different tours and that sometimes there are different rules. So it's, yeah, it's a lot of work, obviously. Connie, thank you so much for coming on and having a chat to us. I really appreciate it. It is challenging to work out three different time zones as we've done here, which I think is a great testament to our flexibility. But um, aside from the self-praise, it was really great to hear about uh, your career, your journey, and your love of speaking about growth and evolution as a human. And I think that's great. And um, that's probably a testament to the success that you've had and, and the way you go about it. So thank you very much. I'm sure Ali enjoyed that as much as I did. And uh, yeah, we really appreciate you coming on. Oh, thank you, guys. It's been a pleasure. Thanks for having me. What did you make of that, Alex? She, I thought a really good chat and she had some really great points to make about um, what she took out of this game more than just wins and losses. Yeah, it was really refreshing. I really, really love talking to her. I think her experience, she's a really well-rounded athlete, clearly. And um, just hearing her stories of how she's got to where she is today is, is really amazing and remarkable. And just, yeah, her outlook and mindset was just really great. I loved it. I thought um, it was really positive and just, you know, tennis isn't her identity. By the sounds of it, obviously she's ingrained in tennis and loves tennis and, you know, obviously clearly wants to get into coaching and her outlook and the way she lives her life because of the lessons from tennis is just really unique and special. Yeah, I think it was also refreshing to hear about the the joy of playing in in the Fed Cup for for Switzerland. I think that uh, that's something that we forget is that just because you're not top 10 in the world doesn't mean there's not opportunity to represent your country. And, and even if you are top 10 in the world, as we know, being Australians, that's the highest honour that there is in in this sport. And that's something you can still achieve whether you're ranked in the 300s or the, or the 30s. I, I think that it was really great to hear her passion about playing for her country and, and see the smile on her face when she spoke about that. And I know that pretty much any kid out there would love to be playing Davis or Fed Cup or Billie Jean King Cup, as it's now called. And so for someone to like her to realize her dream, that's pretty special. Absolutely. I mean, I think representing a country is every kid's biggest dream, right? I don't think, I think growing up for me, playing lots of sports, like Connie said she had, I think, I mean, I'd always thought about representing Australia rather than winning a Grand Slam. I don't know, that's just me, but I think it's really special and and it's, it's fortunate for a lot of these smaller countries that don't have Grand Slams where players do have the ability 
to represent their country at a lower ranking is is awesome. No, you're not the only one there. I also had dreams of uh, representing representing Australia, but the closest I got was sitting about <laughs> 10, 10 rows back. Look, Very good. Thank you, Ali, for jumping on and joining me for yet another episode of The Grind. That's your July instalment, and we look forward to coming back again for August. See you in August. The First Serve is your home of tennis at thefirstserve.com.au. Log on to find out all the details of our live radio show, other podcasts, read weekly features by our team of writers, and follow us on social media, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, and subscribe to our YouTube channel.